When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and Chris Beasley as we chew the fat. Or all the major talking points at Goodison Park as the thaw now takes force of the winter break and the Blues creeping back into action. The players back at Finch Farm over the weekend and this week as they prepare for the game against Arsenal on Sunday. Um, but we will preview that game later in the week uh, and, of course, review everything that Carlo Ancelotti has said at his press conference. So today's episode will include discussions about the big news in football this week, Manchester City, the FFP and UEFA issuing a two-season ban from the Champions League. Obviously, that will go to appeal. But what the, could that mean for Everton this season and European aspirations? We will, of course, talk about the return, hopefully, of Andre Gomez, uh, the Portuguese midfielder, coming through a behind-closed-doors game on Sunday. And Touchwood looks to remain on track to be included in the squad for the trip to the Emirates this weekend. And, of course, the, uh, some other big news this week at Goodison. Everton announcing that at the end of the season, Sport Pacer, the club record sponsorship deal that they had, will be coming to an end. And so the club will be going in search of a new shirt sponsor to replace them. Um, Prenner, what was what was your reaction when the big news in football this week um, dropped on Friday night that Manchester City had been hit with uh, a two-season ban from European competition um, after being found guilty of breaches of, of FFP? Of course, they will appeal through the Court of Arbitration for Sport. But as it stands for the minute, um, looks like they're facing... Uh, at some time out of European competition, initial shock. You know, I was uh, I was studying me local as I like to be on a Friday tea time, and uh, a fella called me over. Have you seen this? And I thought, oh, what do you want to bore me with now? <laughs> and I thought, wow, you know, it really was an absolutely staggering story that you know was quickly the talk of the entire place. And after the initial shock, you sense an opportunity. You think that well, you know, if they are banned. And the suggestion is that if they do appeal, maybe the punishment will be reduced, but you know it will still exist. They still won't be competing in the Champions League next season. So that does offer an opportunity, A, for a team finishing fifth uh, to qualify for the Champions League, for a team finishing a couple of places lower to qualify for the Europa League. So that was all going through the head. But also the fact that the next four fixtures for me are absolutely pivotal in Everton's season. It's all very well saying, OK, there's an opportunity there to qualify for the Champions League or to qualify for the Europa League. To do that, we've got to get results, you know, at Arsenal, against Manchester United at home, against Chelsea. I'm not even thinking about the fourth one in that, you know, that run. Um, you know, very, very difficult run of fixtures. Um, and Carlo Ancelotti has proved very, very good at winning the kind of fixtures Everson should be winning, would be expecting to win. Now he's got to prove he can, you know, sort of set up a team that can win a match against teams that were generally not expected to win. You know, Manchester City was a narrow defeat, although the scoreline probably did us a favour on that one. City were certainly far better than we were that day. So that was all going through my head, but, you know, it's definitely an opportunity. You know, it gives, you know, so Everton something to aim at. I mean, Carlo's already said that the Europa League is a target. 
it makes that target even more attainable. So without wanting to dance on Man City's grave, you know, it's an opportunity. So, you know, door slamming firmly shut in their faces, a door opening for us. So let's let's push against it and try and take that chance. I think, of course, and the understanding would be that should the ban be upheld and, and, and they remain out of European competition um, for the next two seasons, for this season, they finished in the <coughs> top four, uh, fifth would get Champions League football. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're not far off fifth, are we? No. Um, are we are we allowing ourselves to to dream of an unlikely backdoor into Champions League football? I think when you're this close, you've got to allow yourselves to dream, really, because otherwise, you know, what's the point in the rest of the season if you're not, you know, aiming aiming as high as that? Uh, I think it maybe just highlights how disappointing our start of the season really has been, because you know we should be, mu- you know, much more than four points better off than where we are in the league, and you know, if we had just had a competent, just even a competent start. Like first half to the season, we we would be in pole position to be uh, taking that extra Champions League place if it were if it were to drop down to fifth. But uh, I think it's like Preno said, you know, the next few games are crucial, and Ancelotti's got to show that he has really changed the atmosphere at Everton because you know we've had opportunities like this even before this season. You know, third game of the season, we had the chance to go top of the league, and we ended up throwing that one away. And you know, there've been subsequent opportunities akin to that one. Uh, since then, and uh, you know we've we've fallen by the wayside on each each occasion. So Ancelotti has got to prove now. Okay, yeah, I can go to these teams. I can get results because you know you're looking you're looking at the likes of you know let's say let's look at the next game and say Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal have been a place that we've you know struggled mm. to pick up points in in at the past, but like we're better than Arsenal at the minute. We're in better form than Arsenal. We should be going. We should be going to teams like that and be looking to beat them so if Ancelotti can <coughs> instill this into the squad then yeah it should be a really exciting uh, second half to the season and you know we should be able to aim as high as possible in this running and you know the, with the <laughs> with the rest of the form uh, for the teams above us there's no reason to suggest we couldn't finish fourth let, 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 let alone fit mm, but, so. well I was just going to say Chris you know we have to we have to as Adam points out I have to also reflect that ourselves and, and the rest of this chasing pack now are also reeling in Chelsea last night's result of course mm-hmm. another defeat for Chelsea at Stamford mm-hmm. Bridge um, it feels like where once it was a top four and everybody else doesn't seem quite as clear cut now it's yeah it's 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 up for grabs as uh, one conversation famously uh, once um, said in a particular game Merseyside um, yeah it's a straight up said we've all said several times haven't we this year it's a st- below that elite group it's a strange old season in the Premier League so close um, so many of those um, teams are chasing back I mean Sheffield United have got a, a very good chance of getting into Champions League the way things are going if the City ban is upheld um, I I just hope that Everybody knows definitively sooner rather than later because what you fear is that um, with City obviously going to appeal their decision and that if that goes back and forwards, our team's going to be have question marks whether they're in Champions League or not. But yeah, if, if fifth place it, it is is good enough, yeah, I, I just um, you just have to hope that Everton can build that kind of consistency, like we say that um, that run of fixtures that they have got now. Um, Tough set, tough set of games. So um, yeah, it is pivotal. I guess we'll have a much better idea in about a, a, m- a month's time. But yeah, it's a huge opportunity. We, we talk about the fact that when Marco Silva was sacked, 
they dropped into the relegation zone. And here we are barely two months later, obviously, albeit because of these exceptional mm. circumstances, talking about Europe, even talking about the Champions League now. It's incredible, but it's a huge opportunity. And I think whether it's been Everton's fault or outside influences to blame, there have been many occasions where Everton maybe haven't grasped an opportunity to kick on at various times. Obviously, the unfortunate circumstances in 2005, getting into the Champions League and then going out after a tough qualifying draw. Um, obviously, what happened in 85. There's been numerous occasions within the club's history where you thought there's an opportunity missed, either, like I said, through their own fault or someone else's. You just hope that they could maybe take an, an opportunity thrown their way. It was mentioned to me at lunchtime, funnily yeah. enough, that, yeah, Pierluigi Colleen is almost certainly going to be pulled out of retirement <laughs> to take charge of uh, Everson's potential qualifier. Now, the, the ramifications for football generally are huge. I mean, see, reading some of the pieces this morning, I mean, Manchester City aren't going to take this decision lying down. Mm. Uh, they're not going to you know, be supine and just, you know, sort of accept the punishment. They're going to be really, really aggressive um, in their appeals. And, you know, how far that reaches, who knows? It, you know, it could well involve other teams around Europe. I mean, PSG is the obvious one, uh, who've spent a phenomenal sum of money uh, in the last 12 months. And, you know, quite how that equates with the financial fair play rules, no one knows. Um, so they could be very, very far reaching. Everton have to just cut themselves adrift from all that. Nothing to do with Everton, you know, so don't worry about you know, what's going on in the football world at large. Just focus on what we're doing. And if we can maintain the run of form that we've actually put together at the moment, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely attainable. You look at all those teams in and around, you know, so that, that you know, chasing bunch, and none of them are playing particularly well. I mean, Spurs were so fortunate to win at Villa at the weekend. They didn't play well at all. United was so fortunate to win last night at Chelsea. They didn't play particularly well. Nobody around that group of players is playing, particular group of teams is playing particularly well. So if one team can put together a consistent run, and Everton have done that at the moment, but I've now got to do it through a more difficult run of fixtures. Yeah, it's very, very, very attainable. And you know, Everton finished last season with a great run, beating teams like Manchester United, Chelsea, you know, so Arsenal. So if they can do the same again, who knows? But it's in Everton's hands, you know. So as you say, Chris, it's up for grabs. I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do rightly say. Obviously, we have to kind of put it to one side and, and let the due process happen, and, and what will be will be. But equally, we need to know, though, don't we? Because Absolutely. because if we're if eighth looks like it's going to be on the cards, and and and. Um, We'll comfortably secure eighth, for example, hypothetically speaking. We need to know whether that's going to be a European spot or not because there's pre-season to plan. There may be different ideas about the squad or the type of player we would yeah. need. We do need to know, but unfortunately, I suspect we might be left dangling for a while longer, yes, because UEFA historically suggests they don't move you know, the quickest in terms of organisations. Thinking of 2005, what you mentioned before, Chris, I mean, it took so long to sort that out, uh, where they were thrown a curveball, you know, by Liverpool finishing outside the top four, yet winning the Champions League in very unlikely circumstances. They didn't know quite how to handle that. And um, it took a long time before it was, you know, finally decided to allow five teams from England to take part. And then, you know, we all know what happens as, as regards to the draw. Uh, so I wouldn't expect UEFA to make a decision as quickly as we'd like it to happen. But yeah, we need to know. It gives you a little bit more motivation, doesn't it? It gives you more of a, you know, a target. They shouldn't need motivation, to be honest. You know, so a place in Europe should be sufficient anyway. Uh, but I think we might have to wait a little while longer. I know. think eight still depends on cup wins. Though, of course. That as well, of course, yeah. 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 We're, we're basing it on the assumption, you know, that Manchester City will win the League Cup and, and then one of the top yeah. four or would go on and win the League Cup. Um, 
What's your, what's your gut telling you though, Adam? What what do you how do you think it will shake up, and how do you think we, where do you think we will finish, regardless <laughs> of fans and? It, it's so hard to predict, isn't it? Because as I say, we have had this situation before. Like even this season, we've had as, as Preno says, we've had it a few years in the past as well. Like it, it, it all depends on how the Everton take these next four games. Let's say these are four. Really, really big games. Two of them are at home, so you'd be expecting to. Well, you'd want to take maximum points out of both the home games at least. And then you know, Manchester United showed yesterday that Chelsea have got vulnerabilities at the back. You know, numerous sides have shown that Arsenal have got vulnerabilities. I know they were quite comfortable against Newcastle at the weekend, but you know, Arsenal have shown that they've got their own vulnerabilities. So you know, if Everton can, you know, continue the run of form that they were in before the winter break and can exploit that. You know, take take a couple of draws, couple of wins out of these games. Then, you know, used to, used to say that Everton couldn't finish, you know, fifth at least. But you know, it, it does have the potential of going the other way. And you know, the league is so tightly packed at the minute that you can't really afford to be slipping up in many of these games at all because there's so many in that chasing pack now. You know, Manchester United's win took them above Everton yesterday. So, yeah, it, it it's it's all going to depend on. You know, as Chris said earlier, that the next month is going to be really crucial. There needs to be like a, a sea change, really, in Everton mentality because we're all sitting there talking and we're talking about '85, we're talking about 2005, and there is like a certain fatalism uh, that exists amongst Evertonians, and it's understandable why because you know we've had so many uh, brickbats down the years that you know so it tends to happen that way. But it's a long, long time since Everton had a sense of superiority. Um, that's something that Carlo Ancelotti brings to the football club because he's a superior manager. You know, so he's won everything there is to win. Um, he's a winner, and he's already introduced that mentality to a certain degree uh, amongst the players. You know, in the way he's spoken to them after some of the negative results they've endured, um, he needs to you know try and spread that throughout the entire club. We need to wipe away this fatalism. We need to start thinking positively and thinking. You know what we can achieve, rather than what might happen if things go our way. You know, so elsewhere in the football world, it's a mentality change. You know, mentality makes such a huge difference in football. Confidence makes such a huge change, and we have got a manager on board now that can influence that. Whether the players, are the kind of players that will embrace that, I don't know. But you know, it's something that you know we need to do. Interesting. We will watch um, with a very keen eye the developments with Manchester City and the Court of Arbitration for Sport and their appeal. And what this means for Everton in Europe, and we'll keep you uh, up to speed and up to date as and when developments happen. Um, moving on, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, Andre Gomez on Sunday afternoon came through an hour-long behind-closed-doors game at Finch Farm. Uh, two teams, of course, made up of Everton players, under-23s and first teamers involved in a game to help Gomez aid his recovery ahead of what we hope is a place in the squad for Sunday, which would cap a quite remarkable recovery. Um Chris, mm-hmm. did you ever foresee, even in sort of the most positive moments after that injury on November the third, could you foresee Gomez even playing again this season? Never mind playing again by February. No, it's remarkable, isn't it? It's it's, it's a great comeback story. Uh, certainly, if he goes and completes it, which he's on the, the verge of doing now. Yeah, I was in the I was in the main stand that day and. Um, it was it was horrible to see. You could see obviously the reaction of all the the players around him, Seamus Coleman, the other players at the time. You could see something was seriously gone wrong there, and uh, obviously those horrible images um, of his ankle. 
the wrong way round. And yeah, it's it's it's, it's marvellous, isn't it? The way the way he's come back and uh, the the positive attitude that he see, he seems to have brought. Yeah, it's it's one of the real feel good stories. So hopefully he can stay fit and he can make a, a big contribution for the the remainder of the season because I think that has been the one area. That Everton have really sort of been in a state of flux. Um, the central midfield, um, Andrea, we must remember, of course, he was here on loan last season, one of the three signings over the summer in, in that department. And, they, and they've all struggled with injuries. Fabian Delft has been able to contribute the most. But yeah, long term injuries for Andre Gomez and Jean Philippe Gabalin. So yeah, absolutely terrific. I, I wouldn't expect him to be coming in firing on all cylinders. He may, I suspect he may. St- Perhaps starting starting the bench and ease him in um, gently, but yeah, just the fact that, like you say, he's, he's back in and amongst um, the first team, and uh, we're not what are we mid February now, so we can certainly got that chance to contribute. So yeah, terrifically um, um, rapid recovery. As what, what do you think? You know, all being well, and he's involved on Sunday and, and remains fit and healthy for the rest of the season. What what do you think is realistic from us uh, to expect from him? Um. It's interesting, really, because it, 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 he's his return is acting as a little bit of a bonus for the end of the season, really, because you know it is so unexpected. You know, <coughs> on that day, if you'd have told me that he'd be back before Gabamon, don't know, don't know what I would have said mm. to you, because it's it's absolutely remarkable. And full credit to him and you know Everton's medical staff for you know getting him back so quickly. And you know, I, th- I think maybe the, ex- the you know the immediate expectation should be tempered a little bit. You know, obviously we're all excited to see him back, and obviously. Everton do need to improve in that midfield area in particular. You know, you can see that there are deficiencies. We need that sort of box-to-box sort of creativity that Gomez has so often given us in the past. But, yeah, we do need to temper the expectations a little bit because, you know, while he has come back quicker than expected, this still is a very serious injury that he's coming back from. We don't want him to have any sort of setbacks from now until the end of the season. I think maybe just give him... You know, little bits of time coming off the bench, maybe, you know, 15 minutes, 20, work him up. Just work him up slowly, slowly but surely. And hopefully towards the end of the season, we're seeing him complete, you know, 90 minutes of matches. And hopefully he'll be, you know, starting to influence matches that little bit more for us. You know, you know get him, get himself some assists, get himself some goals, which is, you know, something that we've wanted to see from him for a long time, really. And something that he perhaps can improve in his own game. So... Yeah, I think just essentially just getting him back involved with the squad should be the main aim from now until the end of the season. Because as I say, this is it's just a bonus to have him back this quickly. To be honest, Prano, are we limiting um, ourselves by just easing him back in? Because if we remember rightly, he had that muscle injury when he arrived from Barcelona on loan last season, and then bang like that straight in the team against Crystal Palace, and <laughs> had an absolute blinder, and never looked back. Yeah, I mean that's the precedent, I suppose, but. I'd be surprised if he was involved at the weekend, and I personally wouldn't. I think you need to wrap him in absolute kid gloves because I like him so much as a footballer. He's so influential, uh, and an hour you know behind closed doors, friendly, can't possibly get you ready uh, for the intensity of a Premier League football match. And psychologically, you don't know quite what the injury's done to him as well. You know, you need to make sure he's overcome that properly. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, sort of involved on the training pitch for several more weeks before we see him tossed into a into a Premier League environment, you know, certainly include him in the squad by all means, but I wouldn't be playing him in the football match. Um, I just I just think he's so important, you know, so that's what everything the club wants to do. 
I think the supporters as well. Me personally, I've got to overcome this bizarre hatred I've got of Hung Min Son. Now, every time I watch <laughs> it on television, I just, it's petulance, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I just, I still can't think back to that day. It was like such an awful day for Everton Football Club. Uh, so I've got this absolutely unreasonable uh, attitude now whenever I see him play and he scored the winning goal on Saturday he took yeah. it beautifully and I couldn't feel happy for him <laughs> well, he may be, well yeah. he did, he's done it with a fractured elbow hasn't he yeah. he may be spared a <laughs> hostile reunion with the Evertonians mm-hmm. later in the season because yeah. out today for a number of weeks per se well I wouldn't wish you on anybody but if you can't say anything nice about somebody say nothing so <laughs> I'll say nothing let's, let's, let's go back to Andre then when he is fully fit and whether he plays on Sunday or whether he's, he's, he's back in um I'll open this, open this up. What sort of difference is he going to make? Well, you'd, you'd hope he'd make a, fa- a fairly big difference once he, he's oh fully fit. Is he the best midfielder in the squad? Fit or unfit at the minute, but when fit... I'm at, the, at, the, at the peak of their game. Yeah. Uh, in the system that Ancelotti wants to play, probably, yeah. I'd say, you know, I, th- I think the last few weeks, while we've seen a progressive improvement from Sigurdsson in that position over the last few weeks. I still don't think he naturally fits into that sort of central midfield role. Uh, I think Morgan Schneiderlin actually does kind of fit into this Ancelotti system quite well. Uh, you know, Delft's had his sort of deficiencies. Uh, Davis hasn't really been in form over the last few weeks. So, yeah, I think if Gomez comes in and, you know, he can... You know, recreate what he did last season uh, after coming back from injury and you know just hit the ground running then yeah he, I think he probably does establish himself as our best midfielder in that area and you know as I say he does have the potential to be able to just pick the ball up from the two centre backs carry it 30-40 yards spray long range passes uh, cross field passes he's got the incisive ability to find our two strikers as well it'd be interesting to see how he works with two strikers in front mm. of him rather than just the one as well so yeah, it, it does open up a lot of exciting opportunities, and you know, I think probably one of his best best performances from last season was away to West Ham. Thought he absolutely dominated that game, and that was kind of Gomez at the peak of his powers. And I think if we can hone in on that sort of Gomez, then he'll be an incredible asset for us when he is back fully fit. All right, then, working on the basis, Chris, that you know, for this for the argument, we consider him Everton's best central midfielder in a four four two. Mm. Who would be his best partner? Yeah. It, it, it may in time prove to be Gamaman. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, the, for the, the time being, like you're saying, it, it's interesting that Gilfie Sigerson, although he is adapting, um, as Adam says, and the 4-4-2, Schneidlin is, is arguably uh, more suited and then obviously Fabian Dels been in and out. So yeah, I, I, I would stick to thinking that it will be Gabamin long term but obviously for the for the foreseeable future that that's that's not a not an option so um it it's 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 really um a tough one for for all involved in that, that nobody's going to be like we said it'll probably be a while till Andre himself is starting on a regular basis you'd imagine and um, becoming one of the, the main men again it might be more cameo appearances so it, it may be um, two from three whether it's um, s- between Sigurdsson um, uh, Gomez and um, sorry um, yeah Sigurdsson um, Delph and Schneidlin um, mm. and in the time being obviously you've got Tom Davis as well but I, I imagine that like we said that um, the best is yet to come and that it's the untried partnership of um Gamamin and, and Gomez, you, you you would think. Mm. Was it was it against West Ham at home that it was 
Davis and Gomez playing as the like midfield two behind Iwobi. Mm. And I seem to remember they actually worked quite well together, it didn't is, yeah. they? So, you know, perhaps there's a little bit of a connection and a partnership there together. So, you know. Slightly different system, of course. Yeah, it's slightly different, yeah. But I think Richarlison plays in a, a bit of a similar way than Iwobi was playing that mm. day. You know, I think Richarlison does like to drop off a bit playing between the lines. So, you know, I don't think we can rule out Davis, you know, if he can improve his form. Let's say over the next few weeks, I think he's shown that he can play in that position alongside Gomez, certainly. I think the way we've been talking there about the number of uh, central midfield players that have flattered to the sea of this season, it's an area of the pitch that you would hope uh, Marcel Brands would be looking at in the summer with a view to improving it. Um, at the moment, Gilfie Sigurdsson doesn't fit in. I'm a big Gilfie Sigurdsson fan, but he's not a midfielder that can play in a 4-3-3 that effectively. I think he's done okay there, to be fair. Uh, but at 4-4-2, sorry, he can't. Just doesn't fit in there at all. You know, he's a number 10, and uh, Everton aren't playing with one. Morgan Schneidlin is comfortably uh, the, the natural you know, person to play alongside him at the moment until Gavaman's fit again. Um but he's so inconsistent. You know, he's playing well at the moment, but we've seen this before. We've seen him play well, and then he goes missing, or he'll have you know, sort of a couple of real, you know, sort of poor performances. So I'd like to think that it'll be an area of the pitch that you know Marcel will be casting his net far and wide and looking to improve in the summer. Tom Davis, you know, again, is, is done well on occasions, but not consistently enough to actually demand. You know, he's holding down a place. So it's an area of the pitch that does need improvements. Gomez, you know, is a nailed-on starter when he's fully fit because he is so good. Gabamin, we don't know enough about, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it's an area that I think we could be seeing you know, new faces arriving in the summer. But new faces will probably have to mean current faces. It will. Leave. I think yeah. Gilfie Sigurdsson would be one that you'd look at as being vulnerable. Um, whether we would uh, fall into the same boat that we have, you know, with the likes of Sanjo and that he's on, you know, so large wages, spends a huge sum of money in signing him and, what do you think we'd get for him now? 20 million max, maybe. You know, it's, um, it's a difficult one, really. Whether he'd want to even move on, I, I, I don't know. You're faced with all those kind of quandaries again. Morgan Schneiderlin's another one that I don't think many people have been, you know, so overly disappointed to see moved on. You know, he's been there long enough to prove he can forge a regular place and hasn't. So, you know, two players immediately vulnerable. Tom Davis has youth on his side and he still has, you know, the opportunity to improve. Um, so, yeah, you know, plenty of changes could be happening this summer out as well as in. Uh, but that means why the next, you know, however many dozen games are so are so important. You know, it gives Carlo Ancelotti an opportunity to look at these players, and it gives these players an opportunity to impress him and demand, you know, a future at Everton Football Club under his stewardship. Indeed. Okay. F- move on to the final part of today's podcast. Uh, the news broke on Sunday evening that Everton, at the end of this season, will be ending their sponsorship agreement with Sport Pacer two years early. They signed a five-year deal in 2017, but after a commercial review. Uh, of club strategy, um, they've decided to terminate the contract early. Adam, um, it was a club record mm-hmm. um, worth up to in the region of £9.6 million a year based on various things for Everton. So, in terms of money, it was an unprecedented deal. Did you sense, certainly from a supporter's point of view, there was a growing unease with the club having a gambling sponsor and also having a charity? that in part would help people who suffer from addiction issues and the like, and it's something that was raised at the general meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your sort of take on, on that on that feeling and that sentiment among supporters? Yeah, I think it was becoming too hard to ignore, really. I think, you know, the Premier League and you know, f- football in general has been feel, feeling that similar sort of pressure as well, you know, because 
think there is a lot about 10 or 12 Premier League clubs who are sponsored, you know, shared sponsors with uh, gambling uh, gambling companies. And, you know, it, it has been a, an issue that's been growing legs over the past few years. And, you know, Everton fans, as you've rightly said there, have made the link with, you know, the great work that Everton in the community do and will help. A lot of people who've had gambling issues in the past, it was raised in the general meeting, and uh, Denise Barrett-Baxendale seemed to suggest that, you know, Ever- Everton were going to be looking to sort of move away from that side of things in the future. I'm not sure we all expected it to happen mm. as soon as this. And, you know, I think it just suggests to everyone that Everton must have had some sort of offers or something something else lined up, because why would you why would you ditch what was a club record deal two years early if, if you didn't? So it'll be interesting to see what Everton's plans are for the future, and I don't think anybody will really argue or question Everton uh, for stepping away from Sport Pacer. You know, however, however much money they've helped Everton with in the past, I think it was probably the right decision to move away from a sort of gambling company. And it, you know, if not else, it'd be nice to have, you know, having moved from an alcohol company to a gambling company, it'd be nice to have, you know. Something that can be displayed on all Danish all shirts. Well, it's good to have, yeah. like yeah. like a sponsor on the like kids' shirts or something like mm. that. You know, it just just makes things a little bit better, doesn't yeah. it? That was the main thing actually. That Adam just finished on there um, for the for the kids who've been growing up now. Obviously, like I said, we had um, Chang going back to 2004. I think at first they had Chang on the, the, the kids' Chang kids. soda, wasn't it, yeah, or something like that? To, they retained the Chang soda for the for the youth teams, but on the actual replica shirts, I think at first. Correct me if I'm wrong, people can check the archives. I think they sold the kids' replica shirts with Chang on then. I don't know if it was a year in or whatever to the deal. They blocked that. So the, for the best part of 16 years now, young Evertonians growing up haven't had a shirt which resembles um, the actual playing shirt. This, the, the replica shirt's been blank, be it Chang, be it Sport Pacer. And I'd imagine that most young fans would want a shirt which resembled as closely as possible the shirt that their heroes were wearing on the weekend. Mm-hmm. So rather than have this big blank space on the shirt, it would be nice yeah, for, the, for the kids growing up to actually have a shirt that looked like um, the real shirt, which is being worn by the players themselves. Yeah, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable fit, you know, really, wasn't it? I mean, unfortunately, modern football world morals tend to go by the wayside when money's involved because like you say it's a club record a sponsorship deal and that money is very very important uh, but apart from you know so the the morally uncomfortable stance is involved there sport pacer haven't been massively impressive i mean as far as pr blunders go it's been several uh, you know so quite high profile yeah. pr blunders on their social media side which have left fans a little bit you know sort of discomforted so I think probably the time was right uh, to move away from that. Uh, and it will also, I think, you know, the manager probably you know, breathe a sigh of relief because it'll take away um, the need to have these, you know, high-profile friendlies in Africa and, you know, a crucial part of the pre-season, which, you know, OK, it's great for Emerson's exposure uh, in a different continent, but, you know, it's, it's a long trip in, um, in difficult conditions, you know, very, very, you know, awkward time of the year, you know, part of his, his, his planning so, you know, unless they sign a sponsorship from somebody else from the other side mm. of the world, mm. uh, that'll be taken away as well. And, of course, we've lost the opportunity to win the Sport Pacer Trophy. Now. <laughs> I'll, I'll lose it, as the case may be. <laughs> I mean, of course, there were also issues back in Kenya as well, weren't there? They've been mm. quite well documented about, you know, changes in gambling laws over there. So mm. you wonder how much that's played a part as well. But, you know, it's, been, it's just been interesting to see over the, like, the last couple of years, you know, how many times have we had Everton in the community? 
as like a guest shirt sponsor mm. yeah. on the front of the shirt. That's just, it's just mm. it's just strange, isn't it? For, to one week have Everton in the community and then next week have you know that that gambling company back on back on the shirts. Yeah, yeah, it, it was just a bit of a strange situation. So yeah, personally, I'm quite glad that Everton have stepped away from it. I mean, look, the, the expectation at this stage is that, that the new sponsor will be outside of the gambling sphere. It'll be a different sector. But equally, say a gambling company comes in and offers to double what sport pace we're paying, are we stupid to turn it down? Unfortunately, you would have to accept it. You know, that, that's the, the, the business world that we exist in. Uh, you know, we're planning to move to a brand new stadium in only about four or five years' time. Uh, so you can't really be turning your back on business opportunities. I would like to think that the club would look long and hard for an alternative before they accepted something you know, so of a similar nature to Sport Pacer. And I suspect they will be doing that. Uh, but the bottom line is, you know, it's, it's a business. And if someone's prepared to throw a huge sum of money at you, and let's face it, the gambling industry is absolutely booming at the moment. Mm. Uh, there's an awful lot of you know, disposable income in that uh, industry at the moment. We'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I'd like to think the club is looking beyond that, uh, and will you know have something completely different. Is is there anything in the fact that the top established top six teams don't have gambling sponsorship on their shirts, and they're all from different sectors, motor car, um, financial services, and the like? Is that is that is that is that where we have to aspire to? Is it, have they? Is there a reason why those clubs attract that level of sponsorship or that type of sponsorship? Sorry. I, th- I think it's coincidence, really, isn't it? More than anything, and you have to be careful. I mean, Manchester City, you know, their sponsors, you know, that's the reason why they're in the trouble that they're in, uh, because of the the money that they've, you know, sort of banked from these sponsors and the the manner in which they've gone about doing that. Um, personally, I think I just think it's coincidental. I don't think there's any, you know, sort of long term strategy involved in that. I think a lot of it's just global exposure, really, isn't it? Because gambling companies, you don't tend to see them on like a global scale. It's more, it's more like yeah, it tends to be national. It's more like yeah. on a national scale, whereas you know you've got companies like well, airlines uh, as well. Yeah, you know, the, I think all the top six are essentially sponsored by companies that you would consider global, and they they are sponsored by those companies because they're regularly in Europe, in the Champions League, especially. So I think that's probably the difference. Uh, if you know if Everton were consistently getting into Europe, uh, then instantly they become a bit more of a marketable. Well, as, uh, as you neatly bring us back to the start of the pod, exactly the importance of being in Europe. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm not sure it's. He's good, Adam, isn't he? I'm not it's sure it's necessarily a coincidence. Yeah. Well, it, it, it could be like we said, waiting wait to see where Everton are. That could affect the the um, the potential sponsorship deal because if you all of a sudden you have got Carlo Ancelotti, you're possibly in the Champions League. Well, maybe a big global brand will come along and say, well, we'll be the new Everton sponsor. The same way, if you're recruiting players, you've got Carlo Ancelotti in the Champions League. It's going to be considerably different than if you're not. So, yeah, maybe that is also up for grabs. And, is yeah. it, and, and are we, you know, um, Preno rightly saying about, you know, on the pitch, you know, we need a shift in mentality and, and, and uh, you know, understandable sort of feeling of fatalism amongst Evertonians. But, you know, off the pitch, is it is it time to shift that as well? Because... Should we not now? But almost be trying to create a little bit of a business. Well, we've got Carlo Ancelotti in the dugout. We think we're going to get Europe this season. We're moving to a new ground. Planning permission. Hopefully, he's going to be around the corner. We've got a lot going for us, isn't it? and would, would, wouldn't companies want to get in on the ground floor before you know? Hopefully, success and success comes back where the prices to be on the front of the shirt are astronomical. Get in now. You hope so, wouldn't you? <laughs> and you know, who knows whether that's played into the thinking or not? You know, when we were. At the last general meeting, I think the 
the message that Everton wanted to get across is the you know I think they suffered record losses in in the last financial year, but mm, this was all million. this was all sort of part of the plan, sort of thing. Yeah, you know maybe part of the plan was to try and move away from sport pace and you know to try and market markets Everton in a bit more of a global sense, and you know getting a new shared sponsor is probably the the, the easiest and the best way to do that. Excellent. Good stuff, chaps. Uh, thank you very much for your company. We will end it there. Uh, we will pod again, hopefully on Friday, uh, expecting Carlo Ancelotti to hold his press conference at Finch Farm on Friday afternoon, but that is to be confirmed. And obviously we will have, hopefully, from the manager, a bit more of a clearer update on Andre Gomez and several other things. So, chaps, thank you very much for your company and thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.